Welcome to another episode of To Be Perfectly Honest, Game of Thrones. As always, I'm Corey. I'm Anel. And this week we're talking about Season 7, Episode 3, The Queen's Justice. So Anel, what did you think about this episode? Awesome. I mean, I think it's what we've been waiting for this entire series. My favorite part, John and Danny meeting. I don't know what all I expected, but I wasn't let down. You know, I just had been waiting so long. It was like it it brought such excitement and um, seeing John see the dragons for the first time, like made the hair stand up on my arm like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I um, I feel like I did have a little bit of the, oh, my God, I've been thinking about this moment all my life. And then it was like, kind of like, are you going to bend the knee? I'm not going to bend the knee because I'm the king of the north. Well, your ancestors made a, a vow to my ancestors. Yeah, well, your father killed a bunch of people. I was like, oh, no, it's ruined. You're ruining it. And then, <laughs> then I was like, okay, no, it's coming together. Just kind of give it time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot happened in this one. Um, I'm in a training class right now, and... Everyone, no one really knows that I'm doing this podcast, but they're all talking about Game of Thrones, obviously, and most of them are like, I don't know, it's been kind of boring this year, Mm, I hope it picks up, and today everyone was like, that was the best fucking episode ever! I was like, "Mm mm-hmm, fuck all you haters. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, I'm glad that they didn't get together and, like, play, like, the love connection hookup. You know, I felt like after watching it and um, thinking about it, like it played out the way that I feel like it should have. I mean, obviously, they're time constricted because of only having, you know, how many seven episodes, right? Yeah. So I think it played out. I I mean, it could have gone on longer, but (laughs) you need more time to tell yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And then what what else happened this episode? Oh, uh, Lady Olena dies, and she went out like a G. You know, she that was, was probably my most like, bum, bum, bum. like my mom even texted me and was like, "That was so good." I thought for sure that Jamie was going to give her the strangler, just like Joffrey. You know, the poison. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, she's getting the strangler," and the whole time, even after. She asked, you know, like, is this going to be painful or how are you going to do it? And he was like, well, seriously, you wanted this and this, but I'm just going to give you this poison. I was like, it's a strangler. So you don't give the old bitch enough credit. I was thinking that she had already poisoned that wine, knowing that he was going to fucking serve that wine up and she was going to poison him. Little poison by poison and kill herself at the same time. But that didn't happen. (laughs) Um, Um, That's a little like uh, Princess Bride. A little bit. Um, But yeah, I think... Overall, this episode just we really saw we saw everyone's true character a lot. Um, Can I add one thing? Mm-hmm. What about Bran and Sansa? Like you yeah. think so much about Danny and John, but Bran's been gone this whole fucking episode, the whole fucking show. Like he's a grown ass man now. Yeah, and uh, I'm surprised Sansa was like, "Oh, Bran," and not like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Like the rest of us. Who the fuck is this guy? What? <laughs> Did you get recast? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Um, weren't you uh, in the last episode as 
She's like, last time I saw you was, oh, yeah, the first episode. Okay. Uh, were you in a wildling hmm. in season two? No. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, was, I wasn't there. No. Yep. Yep. Um, well, good to see you again. Um, please don't take my throne. <laughs> Even though she's trying to push it off on him. She's like, you're the rightful, you're the male stalker. No, she wasn't. It's Sansa. I don't give her credit. She's like, it's it's like you and I are, are, or anyone is like eating in a restaurant and there's like one last savory morsel. And then you're like, oh, did you want this last one? And really you're thinking, no, I offer it to me. <laughs> That's, I'm Sansa's Sansa, like, oh, you're going to be the last Stark in Winterfell. Oh, uh, no, no, you're the three-eyed raven. All right, bye. Uh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's a weirdo, though. Yeah. Like, he's been affected. <laughs> I mean, I can't say that anyone wouldn't be affected, but he's affected. He's yeah. like, he's like, mm, I'm not going to look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on my wagon. <laughs> There's no Hodor for me anymore, so I'm just going to sit over here and look at the wall. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, he um, is kind of weird. But yeah, um fuck what was i talking about before before you interrupted i'm an interrupter i'm a um i'm gonna list off my names like denarius lady (laughs) interruption queen of last morsels (laughs) you're ruining this for me um oh i know what i was gonna say so i think this episode we really focused on everyone's true character we really got to see that for better or for worse or just completely kind of neutral too i was just gonna agree with you uh, about you finding the common theme to me it wasn't like to me the common theme was um proving yourself to people because you have so many people that haven't seen each other ever or it's been you know forever since they've seen each other but you've either never met someone or you're or you're meeting again after years have passed and you have to prove who you really are like john doesn't have any idea who janny janny who janny is none of us do yeah. she's a new character catch this episode Danny. for the facts <laughs> he's he doesn't know who danny is and sh- here's some chick who like comes into uh dragonstone and she's like oh i have a claim to you know the seven kingdoms and then uh john's trying to prove to danny that look there's a whole nother thing going on in the north and you've got white walkers and you know there's a war and then Tyrion is trying to prove that he is you know going to be an expert on strategy for the war and he fails (laughs) Mm -hmm. you have Um, Euron trying to prove good on his promise that he has this gift promise for Cersei. You have Cersei proving that she, well, like she promised to get revenge on um, the Sands. Um, You have Bran trying to prove to Sansa that he's the three-eyed raven by being super duper creepy. Mm -hmm. But uh, everybody proves themselves for sure. Yeah. Um. I would say, too, with Tyrion, like, one of the things that I see more of him is that, and this is, Dan has to see this, too. He's not a strategist. He's not a commander. He never was great at battle. But he knows people. And that's where his real, you know, he's going to help them with allies. He's going to help them know their enemy. But he's not a strategist. (laughs) We see this with um, uh, your 
two out of three, buddy. Like, hopefully you can pull a win for our side. But, um, yeah, we we definitely see Tyrion maybe not so much on the forefront of the battle. In fact, this episode, he talks her down from going and burning those ships on Dragonback, and maybe she should have. Mm. Because as of right now, they don't have those uh, crazy spear launchers. Hot take. Yeah, so I, I think overall, this episode, we really see people's true character. Now, a lot of people haven't seen each other for a while, or they've never even met. But throughout the episode, and um, kind of towards the end, we see that they do show their true colors. Um, probably some of my favorite people showing this would be Tyrion. Tyrion's one of them. Tyrion is what is bringing these two together. Um, otherwise, it would have gone horribly. So if it wasn't for Ser Davos and for Tyrion, this would have gone... I mean, one of these parties could have been dead when we first watch it. Um, I think they it was really necessary for that. And we see throughout the whole thing, Tyrion's basically kind of, here's a little breadcrumb. Here's a little breadcrumb. Come on, John. <laughs> Come on, John. Oh, Daenerys? Hmm. You want to stop being a bitch? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think that was definitely important. Um, something else about true characters, Melisandre. That was intense. I got my hairs on the back of my neck stood up during that scene. So um, definitely a lot. Um, but we also kind of set up, you know, last episode, we kind of had Danny up on this pedestal. How could she go wrong? I mean, the only thing she needs to do is take back the kingdom and not kill everybody, but should be no problem. Now we have no ships. Yeah. So. This world, it's easy to give people more credit than they really deserve. And then you end up kicking your own ass. Sounds like this world. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, but yeah, with that, um, I know I have more to talk about, but I'd rather talk about it while we're in the middle of it. Yeah. So, so uh, without further ado, let's get to this episode. So one thing that I really love about this scene is Masande's hair. She that is bitch. servant some. Mm-hmm. She knows how to rock a fro. No, but seriously, I love, love, love the... Um... Cinematography? Yes. Yeah. This, um, I mean, a lot of people didn't like Rogue One, but the the opening planet that they're on in Rogue One reminds me so much of this. I just love like the black beach and the cool water and the jagged mountains. Everyone's in these darker tones. Oh yeah, it's gorgeous. And you can see the um the detail that they've put into the set where uh you have the stone that's carved into you can see the details that they put into the set. You see the carved stone, you see the ships and you see the like windblown beach hair. Shout out to Jon Snow. Jon Snow. Yeah, so immediately we have this is kind of what I was saying, you know, this expectation versus reality. We expect Jon Snow's just gonna sail up, say, Hey Danny, and plant a smooch on her and everything's gonna be great. Um, he pulls up, they basically quarantine his men off, take his ship and take all his weapons. So effectively, and he even says this a little later, he's a prisoner. (laughs) So 
yeah. so much for coming and talking. Um, he's going to be basically talked at. Now, it doesn't go quite as bad as that later on, but for this beginning part, he has to be shaking his boots, especially after when we see the first, and this is kind of what we were talking about, too. Are the dragons going to know he's part Targaryen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, evidently, they don't give a shit. Sir <laughs> um, Davos is actually... Um, he references that, wow, this place has really changed. Mm-hmm. But remember, he was here with Stannis for quite a while. So he probably knows a lot more about this place than even Danny does because mm-hmm. he used to live here. So he's very familiar with that. And I wonder if that's going to come into play in um, you know, the episodes to come. Yeah, definitely. So um, the party is kind of walking along the seawall. Um, Absolutely gorgeous, by the way. Yeah, this, whatever location this is, because they obviously like didn't just build this wall just to do Game of Thrones. They don't have that kind of budget, but uh, it's gorge. Well, someone on Reddit uh, I was reading mentioned how uh, as they walk up, you know, the cut of the scene made it look like they were walking up the back of a dragon, and now I can't totally. get it out of my head. Yeah. But And, and then when John uh, is telling Tyrion... You know, I'm not a Stark. Then you have that awesome foreshadowing of that dragon, dragon screeching yeah. and then just swooping in over his head. So cool. I was like, oh, my God. Maybe not like that, but in my head. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, pretty awesome. Tyrion's so funny, too, because he's like, I wish I could say you get used to it, but you don't ever. Yeah. Even though he's touched them. Like one of two people, <laughs> literally. It's pretty awesome. Would you touch a dragon? Yeah. So above the lookout, we have Melisandre, um, and she's looking out, and she's at a distance. And Varys comes up and says, mm, "My lady." Melisandre and Varys have a conversation on top of the battlements, and she says that she's done her part and she's brought ire. Iron. Fire and ice together. And she says, um, Ferris is kind of like, well, why aren't you going to go and meet him? Huh? Huh? She's like, you damn know, well know. She's like, I'm done whispering in the ears of kings. Um, I did not part on good terms because of the mistakes that I've made. And so she said, I'm going to go to Volantis. And then Varys says, just a little bit of advice, my lady. Maybe don't come back. And she, she has kind of a Mm. Oh, yeah? Well, she's like, well, my dear spider, I will return because I must die here in this strange foreign land, just like you. Boom, boom, boom! And he's like, bitch! Yeah, I'm sure he's super, like, frustrated with... the fuck out. Well, every time he gets within a... What do these people call Red... Red Red priestess. Yeah. They always freak him out. Yeah, well, I mean, if someone cut off your junk (laughs) and threw it in a fire when you were a kid, and they were a sorceress... Like, she's pretty much a sorceress. I mean, she is. She birthed out a fucking black demon baby, so. I mean, is that all that it takes to qualify these days? I mean, yeah. No one's saying it has to be black, though. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so she, um, they then kind of go out, and Vera sees off in the distance one lone ship returning. So we find out a little bit later about this, but this is one of the surviving ships coming back to give news. Now, do you have any thoughts on why she may be going to Volantis? Um, well, that is where her the order is, correct? The 
I forget what it's called, where you melt steel. The forging. Yeah, the for the same guy that forged the um, reforged the uh, the sword widow's whale and oath keeper keeper. Um, he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you guys listen to our podcast. Just fill in the blanks. But the same guy who forged that, he was from Volantis. So I don't know if that's going to mean anything later. But mm-hmm. um, she says she's coming back. So. The fact that she's going to Valanis and she's coming back. Well, remember, too, that she promised Arya that they'd meet again. So, I don't know. It'd be cool if uh, she gave Arya a Valyrian steel or something. I don't think she likes Arya too much. Well, I mean, times change, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and also Arya doesn't like her too much. Arya has to kill her. She's on her list, right? Well, maybe. Because uh, she took uh, Gentry off. I just want to know. Where that bitch got her necklace. Can I get one? <laughs> right? I need one right <laughs> I now. would take one right away. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, Danny meets with John in the throne room, and it's kind of a cold reception. We have, like I was saying before, we have Tyrion and we have um, Sir Davos basically having to step in between them and kind of do the pleasantries. Neither one of them are kind of extending that favor. Um, but... As always, we have Danny with the upper hand. She has the thousand titles before, and she's sitting oh on the my throne. God. Um, but yeah, what we get is, you know, she really does believe that she is the rightful heir by title. Not even talking about what she's done to get here, but that it's just her birthright. And it's kind of one of those things that we're so far away from this right now. I mean, she does deserve it. I do believe that. But it's not because of her inheritance. She could have been Joe Blow nobody. Giving birth to dragons and freeing slaves. You're going to be on that throne. Yeah. And um, the other thing that it's easy to look over is the fact. Because we've seen Danny come up from being a slave and being sold to her brother selling her to the highest bidder to get a Dothraki army. And we've seen John come up from being the bastard of Winterfell to going to the wall. So we know all of this. We've been witnessing this for the last six seasons. No one else has, though. Nobody. Yeah. This is their first time meeting. So they're having to give their history to each other and having to, you know, hope that the other person or trust that the other person believes it. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they have a long road to go to build an actual trust because the only thing that they have is their words and and the words of, you know, basically Tyrion and Sir Davos. Yeah. And neither, I don't think, has Davos and, I think Davos and uh, Tyrion met during Blackwater. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, Mm -mm. point is. They didn't. They remember uh, he was on the island. He never even made it because of the wildfire. Davos? Mm Mm-hmm. Remember he's on the, he's stranded on the island. They pick him up, the pirate does. He when he was sailing in, the wildfire attack happened. His son burned alive, and then he basically got capsized. Gotcha, gotcha. So these characters, although they've been second nature to us for all of these years and seasons, um, being that this is their first time, they have a long, long journey to uh, actually having some trust. And they're, you know, John's seeing dragons, something that he's never even probably thought could exist and she's hearing him tell her about white walkers and this Mm. battle to the north and 
Well, and I think that's something that really comes into play too, you know, and John even admits it. He can't get anyone to really believe the severity of this. He can't get his own people to really believe it. Um, I mean, they've banded behind him, but I don't think anyone really realizes how desperate it is. And it's one of those things. How are you supposed to say this? What are you supposed to do? Capture a White Walker, put it in a box and parade it around King's Landing so everybody knows? Like, I think just the fact that John got over the fact that there was a dragon that flew over his head and basically like the 10 seconds it took for him to get up should prove this man has been through a, a lot, lot of shit. <laughs> he could, PTSD. <laughs> for real. He, dragons are the least of his yeah. concerns. For so real. That should be proof in itself. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think another one of these things that it does, as someone who has watched the show this long and kind of getting the beginning of Danny's life on, we are kind of numb to it. And I think this is a really good point, too, to just kind of list everything that's happened to her. You know, it's easy to forget she was sold into basic slavery. She was essentially raped, you know. Um, She was captured by the Horde again. She's been dealing with these slavers. She's crossed the city. Um, She had a brother who was fucking a monster. So to see all this kind of listed out is kind of like, oh, yeah, she's a formidable bitch. Like, we forget this because it's spread across six seasons, but she's a B.A. Um, I do have one thing to say. So, sachet, chante. You stay. Um, so, one last thing is we do have Danny, you know, reiterate that she named the dragons after her brother, brothers. Okay, isn't one of her brothers Jon Snow's dad? Rhaegar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just like maybe that's the one that likes him. What? Hot take. Okay. Hot take. I like it. Good job, Corey. Okay. So um, then we basically have the end at this audience chamber. There's news that comes in. So Masande comes in and says something Valyrian. um, And all of a sudden, everyone has kind of stone cold face. So Danny says, you know, you guys must be tired. Why don't you take room and board and fill your bellies? And John says, are we prisoners? And she says, not at the moment, but maybe. So they exit, and then Masande comes in and says, we've got news back. The ship fleet was destroyed. So, bad fucking news. Does that happen in this one? I thought that was Varys. Is it Varys? Yeah. Yeah, she's already in there. Okay. Varys comes in and says, we have some bad fucking news. All the ships were destroyed. So this is a huge fucking blow. And it also comes right after she told John, guess what? I don't need anybody's help. I'm yeah. invincible. So no the fuck you're not. Um just kidding. <laughs> this is like when I'm like I'm like, fuck you, Matt. I fucking hate it. Ah, I'm a bad mood and then I'm like, Oh, but I'm so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> hey baby. <laughs> you wanna go get some food? Is that your sweet voice? No. <laughs> I'm like, I get found? <laughs> no, but it's, you know, it's totally like that. She's like, ooh, maybe shouldn't have been such a bitch. All of our analogies so far have been about food. People are going <laughs> to know that I'm fat. I'm starving. <laughs> and we're uh, like, these podcasters are fat. That's why we podcast and not vlog. Ooh. Um, 
So we cut from that scene, and then we cut to everybody's favorite pirate, actually my least favorite person in the world, but Euron Greyjoy. And he has basically pulled up. Actually, before that, we cut to a ship captain. Now, this was... Tell me if I'm getting this wrong. This is how I'm reading it. This was someone who was under his sister's army, but has now defected to Euron's side. Has pulled up the young Greyjoy and is basically captured him. Um, I think it's one of the ships that escaped because it is an escaped ship then. Yeah. It okay. was uh, one of Yara's people. That's why Theon's not being okay. Tortured. I wasn't. I wasn't sure if they were like a freed ship or if they like had somehow defected or if they were now on their you know some slave master crazy person who works for Euron. I couldn't tell. It was very short, but yeah, we have Theon alive, looking great <laughs> as usual. You know, the one thing I thought about the entire time when he was like jumping in the water. It's like, that's so cold, he's going to be freezing. But I was like, at least you have no dick. What is dead may never die. <laughs> my dick may never die. <laughs> um, <laughs> my lack of boner will never die. What is dead will never die. So then we kind of cut from that and we go to um, Euron, who's parading down the streets of King's Landing. And he has... It's kind of like the reverse walk of shame because he's got like, he's got like an audience of like chicks that are like, woo, you're on, mm, kind of like what Corey did when he first saw you're on. But then behind him, he's carrying uh, a leash with Yara attached to the end of it. And then behind Yara, he has the two remaining sands, Alaria and what's her name? Tyra? Anyway, the youngest yeah, daughter. The young one. Um, you know, something that just came up to me when you were talking about this and comparing it to Circe's Walk of Shame, you know, this is kind of the second time that Circe has made an allegiance with someone because it suited her. But I have a feeling this is going to bite in the ass just as much as making it with the High Septon did. Not the High Septon, but the... What's that guy's name? This is the Septon? Fuck. Uh... High Sparrow. I was mixing this together. This reminds me of when she made allegiance with the High Sparrow. You know, it momentarily, totally, it momentarily serves her purpose, but it's like, look how enthralled the people are. Look how enthralled the nobility are with him. That's not good. <laughs> you cannot make allegiance with someone that all of your people like more than you. That means when they turn on you, you're fucked. So Euron then proceeds into the throne room with Cersei to present her with the gift. And that is Ilaria Sand. On Peter Baylor. And you notice that Ilaria is, as she's walking in, she immediately sees the mountain. So it's almost like, is this foreshadowing uh, what Cersei did with the Septa? I don't know. Did we know what she did with the Septa? Yeah, the Septa was left in that room in the cell, and uh, the mountain was left in there with her mm-hmm. I mean, to torture I, her. I'm pretty sure he probably fucked her. I mean, maybe not, but I, I got the opinion he was going to fuck her. But is she dead? Because I don't think she's dead. The Septa? Yeah. We never got to see what happened. The 
we never we don't know what's going on with the septa is she dead is she alive we don't know last we saw if i was seriously and you were a holy devout woman and i wanted to torture you i'd probably have someone rape you repeatedly uh remind me that's just me never to leave you in charge (laughs) (laughs) don't cross me bitch (laughs) so uh in all actuality what really happens is cersei takes Ilaria and her daughter and locks her in a chamber now right away i was like bitch this is not your color are you lip sensing i think we forgot to say one other thing about the Euron scene i think we need to backtrack so yeah. folks just rewind just a little bit are you talking about his basically like hey i brought him back we should marry and she's like mm, when you win Yep, and Corey covered it right there. And we'll fast forward back to Ilaria and no. her daughter in the cell. We can talk about it more. I no, that's all That's now. all it. I mean, Euron got shot down. Yeah. He did all Although, that work for no gratitude. Okay. <laughs> but at least he has both hands. Cha-ching, zinga. Um, did you watch that Gay of Thrones? And they're talking about the cat butthole. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's all I can think about now. She's like, I'm not really into you. You have gross teeth, but mm, I love torturing fucking Dornish. Cersei's so into Jamie, it's ridiculous. She's like, oh, torture. I mean, I'm into Jamie, but after a, it's not my brother. You are. Oh my God. I'm podcasting with Cersei. I want her outfit too. I'm sure you do. Like the crystals. Like, I just wear crystals. <laughs> You have to learn how to moonwalk before you can get that. Mm -mm. (laughs) So back to Ilaria San. She is in the torture chamber, the cell. And across from her, just out of reach, is her daughter. And uh, you see Cersei with some uncharacteristic bright red lips. And... I didn't. I didn't catch on at first because oh, like right away because we just saw her. Remember? Yeah, we did just see her. But well, dude, I also, switch my lipstick all the time, so I was like, "Oh, Cersei got yeah. a new look." I also had a little help from the foreshadowing in the previously on Game of Thrones. Oh, well, aren't you the smart one? I'm like they're doing this for a reason. Okay, so next we come down from the top in the throne room down to the dungeon and we know that nothing ever good comes down here we've seen a bunch of people down here most recently we saw the um high scepter is that her name that's not the high scepter septa unella septa unella so we saw her getting tortured by the mountain down here so we know something horrible is about to happen and i don't know about you guys but i noticed the shade of lipstick on seriously and i was like bitch this is not your color a little too preppy um, maybe you didn't notice it, but then, oh, she kisses her daughter. And we all know what's going to happen then. Poisoned. Um, you know, part of me is like, fuck, Cersei's a monster. Then I'm also kind of like, this fucking cunty bitch, though, did this to her daughter. I mean, what did she think was going to happen? I agree. And one thing on second watch that I was thinking about is how, um the it's exactly the opposite of uh the Danny and John how um Danny and John both come to agreement um 
that uh, the children should not pay for the sins of their parents. And here you have Circe doing exactly the opposite. Um, Alaria San poisoned Marcella and um, her daughter, who had nothing to do with it, is also paying for the sins of her mother. And this is basically, she's wiping out the sands. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no more um, bastards that we know of. Well, and if they weren't, they wouldn't be ruling, we'd say, right? Yeah. So that's taking out, you know, she's all but taken out um, Hightower. What are they? Tyrells? So yeah, Tyrells are... Psh- well, this. yeah, that's come more to come. <laughs> Corey loves that word. So next we're going to go and talk about that. But sands are gone. You know, and Cersei has that magical potion no. that she drinks to cure her right away. But I don't see anyone giving that to um, Alaria or her daughter. But I mean, maybe that's uh, you know, the maybe twist. they have one stuffed up their badge for some reason, just in case. Um <laughs> Um, at first watch, I felt horrible. Second, I mean, I still feel fucking horrible for the daughter, but for Ilaria, bitch, I'm sorry, you deserve this. You fucking stabbed your brother-in-law. Like, you are so full of passion, you can't think. It's almost the same fucking thing, but the passion that she has is replacing Circe with malice. It's like an emotion, but it's not passion, you know what I mean? I feel like if given the choice... Whether Corey would be an Alaria or Corey is more of a Circe, I would have to say, as much as he would like to be a Circe, he is more of an Alaria. And I say that as he is wrapping his fingers around my neck to strangle me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, shit does not look good. Um, now I'm Tell us about hold... Jamie's butthole arm. That's coming up next. I, I can't wait. Um, oh, I was. I, I can't wait. No one cares anymore about Alaria. We want to know about Jamie's butthole arm. We haven't seen it since what is it, episode? What do three, you think is going to happen? I want to know what you want. You think is going to happen? Do you think they're fucked? Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I don't. You think they're going to come out of this? You know what? When you go down in that dungeon, one of two things happens. You, you think Septonella is going to be picking her vag off of the floor? kind of pinching it between her legs so she can weasel mm-hmm. on over with the well, and cure you, for poison. Do you hear how they specifically say, you know, how long does it take? Depends on the constitution. Hey, if you're going to pick some, you know, a little princess to fucking poison. They don't have time on this episode. They don't have time on this planet. Let's go to cut to Jamie's know. butthole arm. I don't know. And Corey, we're waiting. So seriously gets done. Yes. Giving the kiss of death. Yes. And she walks in. Yes. And she wants some of that butthole, cat butthole arm in her vagina. <laughs> She's like, come on, peg me. Even oh though my that's God. not what pegging is. So gross. Mm, he's like, oh, can I put a condom on it first? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it probably stinks. <laughs> Like, like it's in the like hand a all like day. a belly button or like a yeah. butthole. I mean, like both, probably, <laughs> <laughs> and probably smells like metal. <laughs> Ugh. Um, that's so gross. It has that metal sweat butthole. I mean, thank God he's rich because it probably smells <laughs> a lot worse. But 
yeah, I, it's, it's weird to me too, because it's like, you know, when he came back, he was like, oh, all I want to do is make love with you. And she's like, eh, eh, and they do it. He forces her again to have sex when they're like in front of their fucking Tommen's body. And now it's like, it's the opposite. He's like, no, no, uh. But what, what man doesn't give in to a good blowjob? Jamie is not above it. Nope. Um, I did kind of feel excited for Jamie. Not excited is not the word, but like happy for <laughs> him. Because like <laughs> it heals all. Like he was pissed at her. Like, dude, you blew up the septum. You blew up the, or you blew up the sept and the septum and the septas. And basically all of our children have been murdered because of you. But oh. you gave a really good blowjob and I love you. You're my sister. Yeah. And that's all it took. Yeah, I think the problem is, you know, you have Cersei, who is a monster, but then she shows this human emotion to her one person she has a connection with, who's Jamie. So that's why he can look past this, because he sees that she isn't a monster. The problem is she's losing more and more and more of that. And now she wants to, she's basically going, I won. And it's like she's going to parade around the household staff and be like, oh, you want to see me and my brother fuck? I dare you to say something about it. You want to be blown up with wildfire? You want to be down in the dungeons? Didn't think so. You know, I think part of the reason why Jamie is so, like, still has the hots for his sister, besides growing up, having the fucking hots for your sister and fucking your sister for how many years, um, and just that's the way of life that you have. But, you know, Cersei's one of the only people that really does love and respect him. You know, everyone else, he goes around and they call him, immediately they call him Kingslayer. And, you know, he really, I mean, we've heard this time again, he did that for everybody. He did that to protect everybody. And yet everyone goes, you're an Oathbreaker. You're a piece of shit. So it's kind of interesting. I think that might be part of it, too. If there's just someone that shows him, hey, your sister, it's not you and your sister against the world. It's your sister is on a pedestal up here and doesn't respect anyone and will kill anyone who gets in her way. I'm still shipping Jamie and Brienne. That's you who know, I'd I like think Brienne and uh, mm. Fuckbeard is gonna... Podrick? No. Not Podrick. Fuckbeard. Oh, Tormund. Yeah. Mm, what if Tormund and Jamie have to f- battle for the honor of Brienne? A little MMF? That'll be um, the bonus episode. <laughs> That's in the script that got leaked. Yep. Spoiler. Just okay. kidding. Anything else? We have to say just kidding because someone might actually believe that it's too good to be true, folks. Means it probably is not true. So yeah, it looks like Cersei has um everyone basically underneath her now. She's got you know what? I'm fucking my brother. Do you give a shit? If you do, I dare you. It also seems like she's I mean, this girl looks like a wannabe Cersei. Does she not? I was thinking more like Star Trek. Kind of, but she they have the pixie cut. She's wearing all black. She's done her walk of shame, too. She understands Cersei. So I feel like, you know, she knows what she's doing. She's putting that's the, women in power. That's He's talking about the, the one who comes to Cersei's room to alert her that the uh, Iron, Iron Bank is here to talk to her. 
So essentially in this scene where Cersei talks to the Iron Bank, Iron Bank is like, well, you have all these enemies, north, south, east, and west. We are going to guess that you're going to lose. So we're here to collect our money and we're probably not going to back you anymore. And she's like, hmm, well, let's see. Um, Usually when people come over and they're all high and just and they're breaking, when they're high and just and breaking slave chains, usually that probably doesn't work out too great for bankers. She's like, how is the slave trade being busted down in Essos done for you guys? He's like, not great. (laughs) Um... So she kind of throws it back in his face, and he several times is like, you are just like your father. And she is. She has that snake tongue that can cut through all the bullshit. Yep. The Iron Bank even says she doesn't mince words. And by the end of this conversation, the Iron Bank is saying, all right, we'll back you just as soon as we get our gold. And she basically says, you'll have your gold. Stay here as my guest. I'll have it for you within a fortnight and we'll talk about it later but we do see that this is proven when uh jamie is at high garden and you kind of see very um blatantly the uh lannister men packing up mounds of gold and mm-hmm. exactly. carrying them out of high garden so okay so what do we have next now point of order here i guess and maybe I'm just not familiar enough and I haven't gotten the books far enough to know this yet. The Iron Bank of Bravos, everyone says, you know, they have such respect for this. They were the first people that came out of Valeria. Um, they were the first free Valerians and they set up this, you know, free city of Bravos. Now, how do they enforce their will for the bank? I mean, everyone's afraid to not pay them back, but why is that? Do they have a large army? Is it just the faceless men? I don't I I always think of them as like the Jewish people. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Oh, I'm from Bravo. Nice to see you. Um, You looking good. I'm very sorry you hear about your father, but I need my fucking money. (laughs) Offensive. Offensive. Um, what I would say, I actually love Jewish people, so that's a very good compliment. I I just think it's interesting. You know, how are we, how are these people supposed to fucking uphold this? I mean, in reality. Well, a Lannister always pays their debts, so you definitely don't want to end up with bad credit. And if Bravos is the only place that has money like that to finance a war... You just, you don't want to burn that bridge. Yeah, I mean, I I get it for sure. I just don't know how immediate of a threat. So um, I think that uh, Bravos being the uh, city that has the House of Black and White and also the Faceless Men, maybe that is uh, how they get their money back. I don't know. Well, I mean, they... Obviously, the first thing you see when you sail into Bravos is this huge soldier. So I'm assuming they have an army, but we just haven't seen it at all. So that's what I just find kind of interesting. But that's just kind of a moot point. You know, it's the sunken city. Did you know that? It's kind of based off... Phoenician. Of, yeah. Yeah. I was looking at the map up close, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. I had no idea. I had no idea. I did know that. Because I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> 
Braggers don't make friends, dear hmm. Corey. So in this next scene, always repays the stats. So in this next scene, we are uh, back in Dragonstone with Tyrion and Jon. And I think this is a meaningful scene because, as we all know, Starks are not known for their smarts, their honor, but mm, they're not the smartest people. As we know, um, Jon was told this before he came south that um, Stark men have never fared well when they travel south. And pretty much every Stark since the since Robert's Rebellion, who's gone south, has not made it back because they were murdered. So yeah. John is all but, quote unquote, captured. But he's, I mean, he can move about the island, but that's it. And so Tyrion and him have a conversation. And Tyrion basically breaks it down to him like this. You know, what can you ask her that's reasonable? Neither of you two know each other. So asking her to drop what she's doing and go up north and fight the battle for you is not reasonable. Just like it's not reasonable for her to ask you to bend the knee, drop what you're doing, and kiss her ass. So, John, for about 10 minutes before he figures it out, oh, dragon glass, yeah. I do know something. He says it just like that. So... Uh, is there anything else oh, we can take from you. this scene? Yeah, I think um, one huge thing that you haven't mentioned is look where we are at. John looks off over the edge. He's on the edge of the precipice. And I think this is a huge, what does he do next? Is he going to fall to his death or is he going to take the reins? You know, this is a huge moment for him. If he can make this alliance with the Targaryen queen, if he goes from here and doesn't have her support, he could get caught and killed. And then there goes the North. Then the White Walkers come and everything's fucked. Like, this is the huge point. You know, we, we look at that battle up North and the, the, you know, the Battle of the Bastards was a huge one too. But I mean, really, that's small fries. I mean, the Battle of the Bastards was over a city. When he fought the White Walkers, he was trying to get, what, a thousand men? And he failed at it. And so it's like, this is, I think, the moment where, you know, if we're looking at this as a song in Ice and Fire, and he's ice and she's fire, the, he could have failed. They could have been prisoners You're right. and killed. Just like saying precipice. 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 Anyways, I thought that was interesting. The cinematography is beautiful. It seems like they're almost like by the cliffs of Dover or something. It's amazing. Um, I wouldn't get that close to the edge, though. I'd probably freak out. So then we head to the next scene, which is Tyrion talking to Danny, And he, like Corey has said, he knows people. So he talked to John, and now he's talking to Danny, And he's both trying to get them on some common ground. Because they started off on who she was, and she did this, and she did that. And John started out on who he was. And it was mainly Sir Davos that was kind of... Um, bringing that to the forefront but he breaks it down to them in a way that they can understand he knows danny by this point and he knows what will speak to the soft side of her just like he knew what to say to john to put things in perspective yeah she also you know takes a moment here to say do you really believe in these white walkers and Tyrion actually sticks up for him and says you know what he wouldn't be here otherwise think about it logically you know i am 
a huge fan of logic. It's the Star Trek in me. I try to apply it to all areas of my life. And Tyrion is spouting that logic, and I love it. Like, why would he come here? Why would he come here unless he needs it for this reason, because it's a matter of life and death? Otherwise, he would have said, fuck you, bitch. I'm not coming. And that resonates with her. She can see it. She speaks with a reason, too. So he convinces Danny to at least give him the dragon glass, which she agrees to. But I think it's important to also notice that Danny caught on to the fact that Sir Davos was starting to say that John came back from the dead at, right before John interrupted him. And so that didn't go be- beneath her radar. But then we cut scene to Danny on the precipice of. <laughs> it's not a precipice. She's like literally looking <laughs> off of a wooden wall. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut scene to Danny overlooking the. Uh, the bay or whatever. The bay. And um, John comes into the scene. And they start to talk. Yeah, so basically um, Daenerys is saying, you know, people thought that dragons were gone from the world and now they're here. Perhaps we should examine what we think we know. So this is her making a little bit of a concession. And I think the fact that Danny is over here overlooking the bay by herself there's no gray worm there's no masande she doesn't have to keep up appearance she well not only that i was gonna say that she must not feel like she's in danger from him you know she did say that they are in blatant uh what is the the north since he went opposition or rebellion yeah whatever yeah um but yet here she's Completely, I mean, aside from her dragons, which I guess she could call at the, any moment, um, but she trusts them a little bit, at least not to kill her. Otherwise, she wouldn't be standing there. Um, and like you were saying, Corey, they're coming to a little bit of concession between the two of them. And um, I think John is just happy to get that glass because he's got a lot of people in the north depending on him. Yeah, definitely. You know, one thing, too, I'm going to point out about the cinematography here. You know, we, we've we been saying this for episodes now. I think we said it almost all of season six. But everything has been so dark and grim. You know, we started off with the show, the first and second season. Everything was bright. We had a bunch of different locations. Um, yeah, the tropical locations were, you know, bright. Even Winterfeld was shot beautifully. But over the last season or so, everything has grown so dark and dim and dreary. Um, but if you notice Dragonstone, we talked about this other episode when Daenerys came there, but this is also happening when John is meeting her on the cliffs, everything brightens up. Everything has a highlight to it. The sun is gleaming on their face and it's some more of that hope. Um, and we really notice this when we cut to the stark contrast of the Starks and Winterfell. Yeah. Um, and Winterfell, things do seem to be a little brighter than they have been typically. Um, Sansa's hair, her eyes really shoot out. Um, and I think that this is supposed to symbolize that she's doing a good job. Not only that, she's making, uh, decisions in a leadership role that we haven't really got to see Sansa have in the past. She's checking and making sure there's enough food for, um, the storms to come. She's making sure that there's leather, um, fixed to the armor that they're building, and um, one thing that I think is notable 
uh, is that she says they have enough food for maybe a year, but we know that the long nights tend to um, be about the same as the summers, and the summer lasted for 10 years. They only have enough food and supply or grains for one year. So I think we'll see that uh, as something that they explore in next episodes. Yeah, her idea to take all of the kind of holdfasts and take their grain or supplies and hold them at Winterfell is a risky idea because, you know... Putting all your eggs in one basket. Like she says, you know, most likely if something happens to these holdfasts, they're going to come and they're going to settle at Winterfell. So that's good. But at the same time, if if Winterfell is taken or if something happens to Winterfell, all their eggs are in one basket. There's going to be no grain in the north. So, um, very interesting. Also, you know, we talked about this last episode, but I do not like how close Peter Baelish is to her. He's doing his typical weird thing. Sansa, think of everything all at once. Consider everything and nothing. Let me just talk in weird yeah. insinuation and just bizarre, you know. And Sansa's like, looks like she's really into it. And then she gets interrupted. She's like, oh, no, someone's here. Okay, bye. And it's... Bron, thanks for showing up just in the nick of time, Bron. Bron, Bran. I don't want to, to get confused with Bron. It's Bran. Bran in Winterfell. He's that, back. No, I think people know. You said Bron a thousand times. I said Bron like I was talking like them, but my accent was off. Bran. Bran. Anyway, the little brother who Mira has been tirelessly pulling through all of the north has finally arrived in Winterfell and Sansa is back with her little brother. Yeah, now they have a moment where basically we have Bran sitting on this couch. Couch. Bran is sitting <laughs> on this cart. Wow, things have really gone up in Winterfell. Where's my couch? Yeah. Um, Bran is sitting on this cart and he's kind of staring off in the distance. It's He's very aloof. This has definitely changed him this experience. You know, he it was always kind of a weirdo, but this has definitely changed him. Sansa comes back and she has a moment, but it's her moment is almost like dumbfounded. I cannot believe you're here. I would have never imagined this. We're back. And, you know, Bran really doesn't respond to that too well. She's like, Bran, you're Lord of Winterfell now. And she's so excited. And then he gets all weird and meta like Littlefinger. Oh, I'm, I can never be Lord because I'm a three-eyed raven and she's like what and he's like oh it's too complicated you'll yeah. never understand and it's like oh okay yeah thanks I mean, for nothing we, bran we do know why but yeah in her opinion like what the hell and um, this goes back to what i was saying about people having to prove who they are who they are um and we have sansa sitting in the godswood with bran you know gonna have a one-on-one away from everybody where they can just be themselves and she really can't get an answer from him. And, you know, this is actually, it seems to be, this is one of these, you know, for a while we thought, um, is Sansa trying to be Cersei? And that could not be further from the truth in this scene to me. You know, it reminds me of them all together when they were younger. I see that innocence, but, you know, she has a little bit of wisdom with the innocence still. Um, I felt but like Brian's lost all of that. I felt like it was going to be a warmer reception. I mean, these are two true born Starks and they haven't seen each other in ages. I mean, Sansa has been through how many marriages and 
horrible things that have happened to her and brands had like all kind of crazy stuff and you you want to see these two like cling to each other and like hold each other in their arms and be like oh i love you brother i love you sister maybe not like cersei and jamie but maybe not that much just stop shy of that and um bran is not giving her um that reciprocation of her excitement because He's the three-eyed raven now. No, he basically says, you know, oh, I, I saw you look beautiful in your wedding dress. and But it's like that also signifies that he sees all. And it's like, remember how horrible. But, I mean, that wedding night was well, the beginning of her getting raped repeatedly every night. There so. would have been less creepy ways to prove that you are all seeing. Like, yeah. hey, Sansa, remember that time you ate too much Mexican and you were in the bathroom all <laughs> That's night? That's creepier. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Not on the creepy scale, but the gross scale. You know, the other thing, too, is Bran really does not try to explain this at all. I think he could have done a little bit of better of a job. 100% better. Um, I mean, just like even being like, hey, I can see things, like all things, straight up. Not being like, well, I'm the three-eyed raven. The three-eyed raven something you don't tell people. Not off the bat. No. Not if you can't explain it. <laughs> You should oh, not start there. You're, okay. Um, what is that? <laughs> and she's probably like, fuck, Littlefinger just gave me the same weird speech. Like, I can't handle it from you, too. Yeah, so um, we hear from Bran that he needs to see better. So, you know, is he here? Or is he going to be going off again? Like... I don't know how one learns to see better. The one thing I will say, though, is, you know, we know a lot of his power comes from these... Um, werewoods? The werewoods, yeah. And in the Godswoods, there is one. So, I mean, maybe this is a great place for him to be, but at the same time, he's marked by the the Night King. Is that bringing danger to all of these people, his home? I guess we'll probably see that here in a little bit, but... Very interesting. Does he stay? Does he go? Is he an ally? You know, is he a detriment to them by staying? Well, only Bran knows. He knows all. And maybe Littlefinger. (laughs) Nothing's going to surprise him. Yeah. Maybe Littlefinger can train Bran on how to think of everything and all things and every... Maybe Littlefinger should have been the... Maybe Littlefinger will slip Bran Littlefinger. Whoa. A weirdo. Too far. So, speaking of too far, the next scene is Grayscale at the what Citadel. And Thank lack you. thereof, rather. Yeah. So, we have basically um, the Maester is examining um, what the fuck's his name? Jorah. Jorah. Jorah the Explorer. <laughs> Jorah the Explorer. So, we have Sam, Jorah, and the Maester there. And the Maester is basically poking at his body. And he's going with a there's screwdriver. No, there's no pain. It doesn't hurt. And Jorah's like, you know, a little bit because you're poking me with a fucking metal rod. Compared but... to uh, Sam peeling all my skin away. No, great, feels great. Um, so he's basically, like, well, you, you you look like you're cured. You can go whenever you want. You know what's but... bizarre about this whole scene is remember he said he'd be back in the morning. So this is like Literally not even 24 hours. Yeah. Because he said he had to go. He'd give him one more day. Yep. So uh, I need to get Sam to work on uh, all my ailments, if that's as long as it takes to cure Grayscale. You know, not a lot of people know this, but um, Sam actually went out to start 
Rogan and Fields, the people who made Proactive. Oh. Yeah. Um, Shout out to... Little you know, though, if you use it nonstop, you get grayscale. You, you probably do. Um, what, here's my question for you, Corey. How much money would someone have to pay you to shake Jorah's hand after this? Oh, well, I, like we said this before, you know, the thing about it is after seeing this, like Sam's kind of be like, bitch, I do whatever I want with Grayscale. Because the thing is, is when Jorah first got it, you know, when you get contact with it, it starts off like a quarter. Bitch, that ain't nothing but a mole. I fucking shave that shit off. No problem. Well, uh, as long as you don't touch on your dick <laughs> or on your nips, <laughs> like I'm fine with it. So after all this curing of gray, grayscale, Sam's talking to the archmaster who you can't really tell if he's impressed or upset, but he knows that Sam did this and he did it after being told specifically, do not do this. And technically, yeah, he did cure Grayscale first try, but he also did put everyone in Old Town and uh, the entire area at risk of uh, having a Grayscale outbreak. So, I mean, I guess he's lucky that he didn't get kicked out. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, yeah, he definitely put himself at risk and like anyone who goes in that room, but I don't think any like everybody else is at risk. That Jor is already there in that cell. He's already handling his food dish. I'm talking if he would have contracted grayscale and then wouldn't have known and went all around and touched everything. Let's hope he wasn't. It's that just stupid. like at work, Corey. One person gets sick and that person has the nerve and audacity to handle everything in the office. Like I said, just don't let him handle your dick. <laughs> You're well, fine. good thing I don't have a dick. But anyway, <laughs> I think that they could have at least given him a link or something. But instead, well, he gets trusted with the scrolls. And I think and this we... is actually more valuable than any link. Oh, of course. Because you know what's going to be in the scrolls. The secrets to everything. The secret to the entire series. Yeah. And I kind of feel like Master, uh, Master, the Archmaster uh, knew what he was doing. I feel like he left those scrolls for Sam to be in charge of it because he knows that Sam is more talented than anyone they've seen there, at least in a while. So, mm-hmm. you know, we see this repeatedly with Sam. He is constantly underestimated everywhere he goes, but as soon as he shows kind of his determination and his willingness to learn, this happened at the wall, you know, they hated him. Everyone did. All the people that were up higher and were like, he's a piece of shit. He won't last the night. But look at him. He killed a bunch of White Walkers. He found the secret to killing them as Dragonglass. He's the one who found Dragonglass. Like, so, you know, I think this is just history repeating itself. He's he's the luckiest son of a bitch that there he's, is in this Westeros. So. He's rescued one of Craster's wives. He, um, or daughters. Yep. Um. Yeah, he's done a lot, more than probably anybody else, arguably, in the series. But we just forget because we're constantly reminded of all the stupid things Sam does instead of celebrating him for, like, all these amazing things. Because he's almost, he's kind of done a lot of them by accident. I mean, let's be real. No, totally. And I'm not saying that's any skill at all. A lot of it is luck. But a lot of it's determination, you know. Like, who else was, like, 
oh hey we should probably read these books <laughs> like well who else they've can only read? been there uh Tyrion and <laughs> sam pretty yeah. much on the whole but it's like how many so like hmm let's get this right there was a library up at the wall what is there to do at the wall oh literally nothing so like, fight. what was yeah like what was everyone else doing when they're like like yeah there's people who have to go defend the wall but the people who are staffed there all the time they didn't decide maybe i should read this book oh white walkers dragon glass oh you don't say no sam so yeah i think i don't necessarily think that the maester knows that there's going to be this huge revelation in these books i think he knows that sam would love this but i think this is this has to be foreshadowing there's going to be something amazing in there and I can only imagine what's going to be. You know, a lot of people have talked about this legendary horn. And we talked about this a little bit on our first kind of intro episode. We haven't heard anything about it. Maybe we're going to hear about it from here. Well, yeah. And in uh, one of the first episodes um, at the wall, we remember that with the dragon glass and all of that, they found a horn along with it. Do you remember that? The first episode? It was one of the episodes where it was the episode where they where found, they found the, all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh man, I don't remember that. Yeah, we'll go back and rewatch. But they didn't identify that horn as anything. It was just there with the dragon glass. But uh, but it was it made out of bone, or was it just a? Uh, I don't know what it was made of. Could be anything. Hmm. I'll have to go back and watch that. Okay, so we cut from there, and we are back at the painted table um, in Dragonstone. We basically have everyone regrouping going what the fuck are we going to do okay so we basically have everyone at the all the advisors and danny they are at the painted table looking at what is going on they're they're between a rock and a hard place no pun intended at casterly rock and they know this so they basically say varus what's going on and he says they're going to face a really difficult situation it's going to be bad news bears but we've had this foreshadowed before i think but um, someone has intimate knowledge of Casterly Rock. It was a punishment from his father, but he put in a little hidey hole that way you can sneak a little prost up in there once in a while. So they have a secret entrance into Casterly Rock. And so I think it's really um, oh, creative. Oh, you know about the prost, that's Tyrion. <laughs> yeah. I think it's really creative how they went about uh, filming this because it's all from... Tyrion's perspective it's all about what Tyrion's expectations were of how this would go down and so it's Tyrion describing um uh fuck what's this place called Casterly Rock so it's Tyrion describing Casterly Rock and describing how they would enter in and what they would see and then the next thing that they'd get to and what they'd see there and everything seems to be going down just as uh, Tyrion expects it to, except at the very last scene where you see Grey Worm and he's looking around and he's like, where are the rest of the Lannisters? You know, that was his, where are my dragon? So he grabs this Lannister and he's like, where are the rest of them? And then you overlook uh, the sea right outside of Casterly Rock and you see the rest of uh, Euron's crew blowing up all their ships, like setting Decimated. them on fire. Yeah. Yeah. So... Hmm, how many ships does Danny have? Probably about two, maybe one. The one that picked up uh, Theon at the beginning. So that essentially strands her army at Casterly Rock. And then it 
strands her at Dragonstone. Mm -hmm. With all the Dothraki. Yep. The only thing that's getting off the islands, those dragons. Yeah. So uh, very interesting. You know. And this is uh, two strikes for Tyrion. So I don't know if you guys remember at her last um, meeting with her advisors, uh, with her Elena and um, all of them at the last episode, and how every time Tyrion would talk, she'd kind of shut him down. So she was already starting to kind of um, go with her gut instinct and less uh, regard for what Tyrion's saying. She trusted Tyrion on this battle um, plan, and both went horribly wrong. So be interesting to see how much she trusts Tyrion going forward. Yeah. So I think one of the saving graces of the situation is that we already know that with a small amount of men, they can guard Castle Rock. And we no doubt the Unsullied are an amazing defensive people. But the problem is, as we'll find out later, all of the provisions and supplies have been emptied out of Cashley Rock. And even if they do decide, okay, well, we're going to fucking march on and meet them and, you know, go to King's Landing, they have to march the entire way there with no provisions, with no horses. They're not ready for it. So um, that's going to be a very interesting situation. We predicted it before. We think that Grey Worm is donezo, but it looks like he's going to fight to live another day, but he's probably going to be done pretty soon. Um, So then what we see is, and at first I was like, wait, is Jamie marching Casterly Rock? I'm like, no, that's not Casterly. Oh, they took that army? Highgarden. Took it to Highgarden. So um, basically they march in, slaughter everybody. You see, like we said before, you see the Lannisters just pillaging the shit out of the gold coffers there. Um, and damn, Tyrells, they were loaded. That's like Fort Knox up in that bitch. Um, he walks in and he has Lady Elena there sitting at the table. There's a coffer of wine. He pours two glasses for her. Basically says, you know, seriously wanted me to fucking poison you and make you suffer but i made sure not to here's the poison she goes you know okay i'll do it if i don't suffer takes a swig of it and her last moments says you know i never knew that the strangler poison was going to be so horrible for joffrey when i did it but let cersei know it was me and you can just see in jamie's eyes the disappointment he just wants to take a fucking sword and shove it right through her face but he knows she's already dead anyway so fucking why not this seed that she sows is right before her death is about how jamie should not trust cersei and he'll learn to realize that just the way she did so it's a seed of doubt so it's just one more thing for jamie to kind of take with him and ponder over um from lady elena and i thought that was very well played you know, one of the bigger things here, too, is now we... And she said this to Jamie. I'm the one who killed Joffrey. That means Tyrion's off the hook. But you know what? Do you think that's going to matter to Cersei? Probably not. Absolutely not. She already told Jamie that they're the only yeah. Lannisters that count. Yeah, you know, to be honest, I mean, he did kill their father. And I think killing Tywin probably spiraled the situation much faster than anything else did. But at the same time, you know, um, I don't think it matters to Jamie. I think Jamie, you know, this is all the confirmation he needs to trust his brother again and put him in the fold. They're going to be at opposing sides. It's going to be very interesting what's going on. But yeah, um, 
probably this scene gave me chills. I mean, when my mom texted me, this is the scene she was talking about. She was like, this show is amazing. That performance she gives. And we don't even see her die. We just cut off to it, fade to black. Very Sopranos-like. Loved it. I think it also shows that Jamie is more of a compassionate person than Cersei, too, because she had all of these other ways that she wanted to kill. And I totally thought that the poison that Jamie was going to give her was going to be the strangler, because we've had this history of, like, oh, an eye for an eye, especially with the Lannisters. But Jamie was like, no, this is going to be painless. Here you go. And then Elena's like, did we at least fight well? Like, she already knew that they... You know, one one thing that I'm kind of interested in is, why was she there? You go down with your ship, Corey. She's the lady. I mean, you don't have to. (laughs) Just saying. Like, she was an advisor there. She could have been sitting at Dragonstone waiting for them to come and fucking massacre her there. What else does she have, though? I mean... And I think it's a genius play by Jamie because um, Highgarden commands the most fertile areas of uh, the South there, of all of Westeros, actually. And Jamie was saying in the initial episode of this season that um, in order to have a successful army, they needed to be able to have supplies for the army, oh, for feed sure. them and everything. And we've heard Sansa say, oh, my gosh, we only have enough you know, grain for one year. So I think... Um, having that as uh, having a hold over a high high garden is going to be a major power play for this war. Yeah, of course, sure. um, if you're a White Walker, food don't matter. Don't matter. Um, you know, another thing that I kind of question about the judgment that's been going on here. Why wasn't this gold moved? You know, if you're already going to pledge allegiance to the dragons of the United States of Khalifi, like... Why wouldn't you take that gold and sail across the sea and pop it in there? Why are you just hiding it there? Um, Waiting for it to get plundered. I just had an idea. What if all of Danny and John's troops get like horribly murdered or let's just say they're sucky like they are now. And what if they come to some new agreement with the Night's King? And then the Night's King joins forces with them, and then they just go obliterate Cersei and live happily ever after. Um, That's my hot take. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. Doubtful. <laughs> just saying. Don't think that's the way it works. Oh, well, I can dream. Um, you know, so we... Is it Fate to Black on this? Yeah. <clears throat> so you know another couple things that i'm going to talk about now did you watch the preview for the next episode no you didn't Mm-mm. oh i probably did but i just don't remember okay um so i i watched a little bit of it um not a whole lot was too informative but i do think basically what they say is that gold is marching from the tyrells to king's landing gold don't fly it's going to take a little time. So that envoy of gold coming across, that's the next target, I believe. So I think that's really what it's going to be about next episode. Um, well, they got to figure out a way to get the Dothraki onto dry land and let the Dothraki just wreak havoc. Well, and let's look at our map here. Now, how far are we looking? So if we look at it, 
the Unsullied could probably, if they could march like motherfuckers, they might be able to catch up with them. Remember, we have a lot of gold. That gold's going to have to be in a carriage or a wagon. It's not going to be as fast as everyone just riding on horseback. There's going to probably be different terrain there. There might be a possibility that they can meet up and off or not. Yeah, but like you said, they don't have any supplies. True. But they are in kind of the most fertile area, so maybe they can just kind of subsistence off what they have. Um, But yeah, I think it definitely interesting. I think this next episode, what we're going to have to see is we're going to have to get a win for the dragons. Like, this has been too many loses. If we lose any more, Danny's just going to go and toast the fucking King's Landing. And we know that can't happen because then we're just having Mad Queen. So yeah, but we're going to have to have something on her side. Targaryens have a tendency to go mad. I mean, let's be honest. Everyone goes mad every once in a while. I mean, fuck. Look at the Tyrells. They're like, we're golden roses. Let's poison everybody. Just saying. Um, Hot take. So overall awesome episode probably my favorite of the it, actually not even probably for sure my favorite of this uh season probably my favorite episode ever to be quite honest what do you think what did you think uh, if you so had to rate it where would you rate this i like all of the episodes each one this season i feel like has gotten progressively better quit being so pc no i'm serious like so I didn't, I did not mind so the setup of the first episode. A lot of people had a problem with that. They're like, "Nothing happened." My boyfriend was like, "There weren't enough murders." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Arya took out a whole house, like killed the yeah. whole. Said, "Yeah, tell him the North remembers, biatch." And then, then the uh, second episode. I don't even remember the second episode because <laughs> this one was so cool. Yep, exactly. This one's the best. Yeah, I said that. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know saying, yeah, I I loved it. Um, we hit on everybody that I wanted to see. We even got a little bit of Bran. Bran's the one that fucking disappears for a fucking season and a half, and then we take, see him for five seconds, and then he's gone again. Um, you so know, Arya um, is going to be in the next episode because we didn't see any of her this episode. Exactly, but she's on her way. We mm-hmm. can't have a reunion and then another. Yeah, reunion I just right want to know. You know, I kind of, in retrospect, assumed that she was going north. But we don't know that. When she had that Nymeria thing where, like, mm-hmm. that's not you. And then Nymeria, like, left instead of going with her to Winterfeld. Was that Arya saying, hmm, that's not me either anymore? No, I think she's up there. For she sure. better be. Yeah, I mean, that's her. That She's doing everything because of her family. Yeah. And her love for her family. Yeah. Like Jamie. Yeah, but... Jamie also listens with a stick in his cat butthole, so. Well, yeah, mm, she's not humping her brother, but um, well, who do you think has the higher body count, Arya or Jamie? A p- period? Yeah. Oh, Jamie. You think? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. She just took out a whole house. Boom. A house of like maybe 50 or 60 people. Jamie's commanded armies. Yeah, I'm just talking about personally. Yeah, I'm just. How many people has Jamie personally taken out? How many people do you think he slashed their throats with a sword? More than sixty. I don't know. Arya's working on it. Hey, I mean, props to Arya. Fucking. How about the quality versus body count per years old? Arya, (laughs) for sure. Yeah, you think Jamie was fucking slitting people's throats? Hey, we don't know. I mean, maybe a couple. 
Probably a couple. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure. Um, so your predictions for the next one. What do you think is going to mainly happen with this one? Do you have any insight about anything crazy? Yeah, uh, so spoiler alert, I did see um, some things posted in Reddit that sound like they are legitimate. Um, that there was going to be some sort of battle. Looks like it's on land. So, um, like you were saying, Corey, I bet you it's the battle for this gold that the Lannisters controlled. So, so in a battle of that magnitude, I would expect that there'd be some serious casualties. So, we'll um, keep our fingers crossed that none of our favorite characters go. But, um, who knows? You know, if there's a... If those Dothraki make it to the mainland, that they could be pretty terrorizing on the open field. Um, maybe we'll get to see um, Sam's dad in uh, doing his thing. He's supposed to be a pretty prestigious um, uh, leader in battle. So, what did you hear about, or do you have any speculations for the next episode? Um, you know, one thing that we don't know, what happened with Euron? Where is Euron going next? This is kind of the the movement of Cersei's army right now. Um, this is what goes and gets shit done. So is he sailing back to Dragonstone? What's his idea? So that's what I want to know about next. Well, he um, has Yara, so maybe he's going to Pike to deliver the traitor back to Pike. Why? He's already been declared the king. I mean, why doesn't he just fucking kill her? Because he'd rather torture her. Yeah, but he can do that on a ship. I don't know. I don't. I think. I don't think that's what he's going to do. But I could be completely wrong. Maybe he'll make a a quick stop over on the Iron Islands and do that. Um, you know what is happening with um, like you said, where are we going back over to Essos for the Lord of Light convention? We don't know. I would like to know what's going on with that. Arya, pretty sure she's headed up north. She's probably going to be in Winterfell next episode, so that's going to be great. What the fuck's going on with Peter Baelish? And what is he planning and scheming? It's like, next episode, I think what we're going to see is we're going to have that main battle over the gold. In Winterfell, I think Peter Baelish is going to make his move, or we're going to see at least the roots of it take hold. I think in Dragonstone, we're going to have basically, hey, um, Tyrion, thanks, but... But no thanks. How about you shut the fuck up and listen to how the big girls want to fucking play at war? And then I think, you know, with John, I think he's going to take off back up to the north. And uh, who knows if he gets there in time to fucking stop Peter Baelish. I think more importantly, not to sound like John, but where the fuck are those White Walkers? Are the Wildlings in Eastwatch? And are they going to be in Eastwatch with the Wildlings? Maybe that won't be this next episode, but... Yeah, Probably I feel like, the next I think it's coming, but that. I feel like that's just so much to go on. I think maybe the episode after that we'll see that. But yeah, for sure. What the fuck is going and on? We've got to hear a little more for Bran, for sure. Arya, Bran, this war for the gold, um, maybe a little bit of Euron, and you know, I think that will be... Ooh. You know what might be kind of nice? Mm, what? Arya stabbing the fuck out of yeah. Peter Baelish. Mm, yeah. Okay, well, that's it for this week's episode. We did want to mention a little bit piece of news. Um, it does appear that there have been some hackers who have gotten a hold of some of the scripts for Game of Thrones. Um, at this time, we're not going to read them at all. We don't want to be spoiled. We don't want to spoil you guys either. 
Um, so we're going to kind of ignore that. If there's any more news to come out of it, um, we might talk a little bit about it, but we're definitely not going to go search there to get any insight that we wouldn't have gotten from the TV show itself. Um, with that, as always, we hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Um, if you guys want to check us out at our website at www.tobeperfectlyhonestpodcast.com, there we have a link to all of our social media and we have feedback forms. If you include your name, we can give you a shout out on the show if you have any insights that we didn't come up with. And if you guys want to check out our other podcasts as well, we have links there as well. We'll catch you guys next week. And as always, stay perfectly honest. <laughs>